Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. For your goodness and your grace, we ask that your presence continue to be with us, to lead us and guide us. Uh, Lord, to draw us closer to you, um, to have a vision for you and how to live out our our walk with you, our, our membership in the kingdom of heaven. Help us to live that out in this world. Peter said that we are pilgrims passing through, that this current state of the world is not our home, that we have a home with our heavenly Father, and that we are partnering with him to bring that kingdom of heaven to bear here on earth. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you ignite that vision in us and give us direction for how to do that this year in 2024. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so this was probably going to be a pretty short sermon, <clears throat> but um, it be, be, beginning, being the beginning of the year, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, Byron really cast a vision last week um, as giving his first message at 80 years old. You know, like he's moving into that second act of a three-part act like Moses is, right? And so he's got another 40 years before he hits that 120 mark. Um, so I was asking the Lord, like, what, what should we do a message on? And I've got uh, a liturgical calendar from the Anglican Church, and they give you the scripture readings for the seasons. So like every Sunday they have a series of scripture readings and it runs through a three-year cycle. And so I was looking at the scripture readings for this year's cycle <laughs> and one of them really stuck out to me. It's Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> and so we're going to read through that. I'm going to give a little bit of a breakdown and, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. So we'll keep it short and sweet today. So Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. And this is, where, this is how it starts out. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out to the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. 
I'm going to pull something up real quick here because when I get there, I want to be able to <laughs> have it at the ready. <clears throat> okay, so when you read this, in light of the New Testament, it's pretty clear that God is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. Jesus is a servant that Isaiah keeps coming back to, right? Uh, you know, and he has several titles um, in the prophetic literature. You've got the servant, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. You've got, um, oh man, what's the, one? The, the the ancient of days. You've got the son of man. You've got the son of God. You've got all of these different terms. This one's talking about the, the servant. And they're talking about Jesus. And so God is describing Jesus in this. That God has chosen Jesus. God has made Jesus the covenant with his people, right? So he's the sacrificial lamb that seals that covenant. <clears throat> yes, Lord. <laughs> um, but then he talks about like what Jesus' mission is, is to bring that justice, to bring that truth, right? And he also talks about Jesus taking care of the weak and the afflicted, freeing the prisoners. So we have all of this language happening. <clears throat> and that Jesus is not going to stop until he brings his justice forth on the earth. So we're going to break that down um, in some of the sections and then uh, talk about our application with it. So first up, <clears throat> the Lord's servant brings unwavering justice. Now this is from verses 1 through 4. The servant brings unwavering justice. God said that he puts his spirit on Jesus and he'll bring forth justice to the nations. Now we, we've, we see that starting to happen with Jesus' earthly ministry. We see it continue to happen through what I would call Christianization, right? So as the gospel goes forth, God's justice also goes forth. The fact that we have human rights laws in the developed countries of the world is a testament to the Judeo-Christian worldview that humanity, that life has meaning and that life has value as image bearers of God. And so there are certain things that are illegal. Cruel and un unusual punishment is one of them. <clears throat> and so do we carry that out perfectly? No. As nations, that does not be, that is not carried out perfectly. It's carried out uh, Cruel and unusual punishment happens more in worldviews that have rejected God, that have rejected Jesus, than the ones that accept God and accept Jesus. You can look at uh, uh, the Black Book of Communism to get a lot, of, a lot of examples on that, but we'll just stop there. But God put his spirit on Jesus to bring justice forth. And he says that he's not going to well, to be bombastic about it, right? He's not going to be ruckus about it. When Jesus came, like he came and was born in, uh, some say it was like a bit of a cave, like a little dwelling place for animals, a crush, you know, uh, maybe a stable or a manger. He, was, he was, wasn't even born in a place dignified enough to be called a hotel, right, or an inn. Like he was in the animal farm, pretty much, being born. So it didn't come with all of this fanfare. The angels only really showed up to a bunch of no-name shepherds out in the field. They didn't show up to the kings. They didn't show up to the ruling class. They showed up to a, a couple of shepherds. And Jesus' whole ministry, like 
he didn't really have a big name for himself through a lot of it until the miracle started happening and he started gaining some popularity. <coughs> but even that, like the Caesars didn't even know who Jesus was. Like they, they, they didn't care. Like they and they were the, the power center of the world of the day. You know, like the King of Kings was born in this little Podunk Galilean area and he's doing a few miracles and the the emperors don't even learn about it until centuries later when Christianity just kind of took over the Roman Empire in a wave, a, a populist wave at that. So it says he's not going to be um, bombastic about it. He's not going to cry aloud with all of this. And so he came in very discreetly. There's a, there's a lot of explanation for that, but we won't get into that today. But he comes in and he starts bringing the justice. And it, and it starts with him and it moves to his disciples, and then it moves to those that follow him, and it, it causes this slow ripple effect until it starts reaching bigger and bigger parts of the world. <clears throat> so he comes in, and then it says, uh, the, the phrase that, that he uses is a bruised reed and a barely lit wick. And both of those are in a weakened state. You know, a bruised reed is a reed that's that's been damaged either by the storm or by some sort of... Um, action toward it, whether it be an animal or a person. And a barely lit wick is one that's barely staying afloat. You know, like it's just on the cusp of going out. Uh, and so that's language describing uh, the weak and the vulnerable. You know, and so when it says that, that Jesus will not break a bruised reed and he will not quench a faintly burning wick, that he's not going to, to trample over the weak when he brings the justice that he's mindful of the weak. And we see that in Scripture over and over again, from Isaiah 61 all the way into the New Testament. Jesus had compassion on those that were downtrodden, that were in a situation they could not get themselves out of. He had compassion for them. And, and, and that compassion moved him uh, to bring healing, to help them with their whatever their ailment is. And so he's very mindful of the vulnerable when he's bringing his justice about. And then he goes on to say that the coastlands wait for his law. Um, so we have people, even in the coastlands, and if you think about it, the coastlands are pretty much where the main thoroughfares of trade would happen because of the boats could, could take things to and fro, right? I mean, like we had the whole supply chain issue a few years back, uh, there's some politics involved. We don't get in there. But like all of the supply ships were like just out right off the coast of California and they couldn't get their stuff on into the states because that was a supply chain, right? Uh, and, and so those coastlands, there's a lot of trade. There's a lot of movement. And when there's areas where there's a lot of movement and a lot of trade like that, there's also a lot of corruption. There's also a lot of uh, underhanded dealings. And there's also a lot of... Um, like ideas that come forth from different areas. Um, and so you can follow the move of, of, of some of those ideas that start like in those international touch points as they migrate into a culture. And so here it's saying that the coastlands, those, those crazy, almost like wild, lawless areas, are waiting for God's law. So people are asking and wanting his justice to be implemented. Now, not the ones in power, because they tend to be the ones that benefit from it. I mean, like, they're the ones that conspired to have him killed in the first place. 
But we can see, like, this day and age, um, there's a move towards that. I mean, like, yeah, we're, we're very divided ideologically in America. The average everyday person wants peace, wants law and order, wants justice. You know, they, they want the stability, right? And we're never going to get that from politicians. We're only going to get that from Jesus and, and working with him and bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear. And so he's the only one that can, can really truly bring that. And we can see, like, this cry for law and order, this cry for justice is exacerbated because news outlets, they constantly report on the ills of the world. That's the thing that gets them money, right? So that's all you see. And it doesn't matter if it's left or right or centrist. Um, it's all alarmist. Something is coming to destroy our way of life, and it's so terrible that we can't do anything about it. That's basically how it makes you feel. <clears throat> and the average person wants the law and order. And so we, we cry out to God to remedy this because we feel like we're powerless to do this. And so it's saying that the, the, the coastlands are waiting for God's law. So God's bringing his justice. God's bringing his righteousness. And the coastlands are going to be those last touch points where, that, where it finally hits because of the influx and the movement um, uh, in the waters, you know, where there's a lot of, of um, travelers coming to and fro, bringing different value systems and stuff. <coughs> and so he's bringing the unwavering justice. And that's our first point. Our second point brings us through verses 5 through 6, where God brings a self-revelation. So he declares things about himself. He created the heavens and stretched them out. So he's the one that, that rules the universe. He's the one that spread out the earth and spread out everything that lives on it. You can even harken back to the Tower of Babel, you know, where God told, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Go out and fill out the earth. And what do they do at Babel? The opposite. They don't subdue the earth. They congregate into one area, and then they try to become like God and build the tower, right? So what does he do? He spreads them out by dividing the language. Like, all right, if you don't want to do that, then here, we'll divide the language. And you'll go out and you'll spread and, and fill out the earth. So God says he's the one that spreads out the earth. He's the one that spreads out everybody that lives on the earth. And he's the one that gives breath to people on the earth. God's the one that gives us the breath of life from the day we're born. It also says that he gives his spirit to those that walk on the earth. <clears throat> now, here's, here's an important thing with, with some of the phrases in uh, the, the Hebrew mind. If you look at Psalm 1-1, it, it has three things. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of sinners, right? stand with them, or sit in the seat of mockers. So you, there's walking, there's standing, there's sitting. So they're, they're, they're increasing degrees of commitment to something. So you're, you're walking with them, so you're kind of in fellowship, you're considering things, right? You have a conversation as you're on the walk, so there's a back and forth. And you're standing there, you're getting more committed to this conversation, right? You're, whether it's a good or bad, whether it's, yeah, I, I hear you. There's a standing point where, where your concentration is, is so set that you, that you can't walk and talk anymore. You have to stand and get into that conversation. And then there's sitting, 
which is a, kind of like a seat of fellowship, right? So blessed is the man that does not walk in the path of sinners. So he's not walking in that conversation with him. He's not standing and entertaining those thought processes, and he's not sitting down in fellowship with sinfulness. So you're getting these varying degrees of commitment towards something. So walking, standing, sitting. That's important to keep in mind because we're going to bring this up. God gives his spirit to those who walk on the earth, right? So he gives his spirit to those who are walking and entertaining a conversation about who God is, right? So he's going to give his spirit to bring insight, bring revelation. You know, sometimes you have those epiphanies. You know, sometimes we might call them like God moments. And, you know, it's those sudden realizations. And so you're walking, you're considering those things. So God gives his spirit to those that are willing to have that conversation, to kind of maybe nudge them in that direction. Then it transitions into the last three verses, verses 6 through 9, where God goes back to talking to the servant, which is Jesus. It says, he called him in righteousness. God called Jesus in righteousness. And God will keep him. God protected him all through the ministry so that he could fulfill his mission. <clears throat> and then God says that he's giving the servant, he's giving Jesus as a covenant for the people. You know, we had communion not too long ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And God, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Like Jesus is the linchpin for that covenant to be implemented. And it's his blood that is spilt that seals that covenant. So the servant is given as a covenant for the people. And then he says the servant is the light of the nations. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. And we we see that language echoed in the beginning of John, I believe. And that the servant will open blind eyes. Now that, that is physical blind and it's metaphorical blind. You know, so Jesus did heal blind people. And that had never happened. And, and as far as we know, in the history of, of um, Scripture, there's never been a blind person who received their sight before the coming of Jesus. Like, that is, that is a, a miracle unique to who Jesus is. And so the servant will open the blind eyes. And there's also the metaphorical blindness. He opens up their understanding, just like the two guys when he's walking on the road to Emmaus with them. They're talking and they're talking and they sit down and say, hey, come and eat with us. They break bread. As soon as they break the bread, they notice it's Jesus and he disappears. And they said, oh, now we understand. He opened our eyes to the scriptures. Jesus opens the eyes. And he frees the prisoners from the dungeon. Right? We, we, we see Second Peter where it says Jesus went down into Hades or the place of, of the dead and he set the prisoners free. Right? He took the, the, the the keys to the hell and death, and set them free. Jesus sets the prisoners free. Now, it's, 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 some of those were, were imprisoned spiritually, so he goes and he sets those free. But he also, those that are living, who are imprisoned by either physical chains or, more importantly, by spiritual chains or or uh, binding like, mindsets. Like that, that's a huge thing. The, our mental patterns really constrain us for things that we can do. Um, and there are whole peoples that are, are mentally bound 
and they're prisoners in that mindset. I mean, we, we, we lend our building out to a ministry that's dedicated to getting uh, young ladies out of the sex industry. Because in their mind, their framework is they are enslaved to their pimp or they're enslaved to their human traffickers. And the whole ministry is dedicated to teaching them a different way of thinking, which is not just get them out of the environment. That, that's a big part. It's also training them to think differently that, no, you don't have to be enslaved. Yes, you can be free. Yes, you can stand on your own two feet. And yes, you can develop the skills to do that. I mean, it's a whole encompassing thing. It used to be a residential program. Um, some, some things change and it's not residential anymore. But it's about changing those mindsets. So, so that ministry is being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? They're being the incarnational reality to these ladies to help break those chains, to set them free from that dungeon of sex slavery. And so that's what Jesus is called to do, to set people free. Um, when we look at 2 Corinthians 10, I can't give you the verse, it says that um, uh, like our battle is not against flesh and blood, but of, uh, of principalities and powers. And anything, here's, here, here's the key phrase, anything that sets itself up against the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? It's a way of thinking. It's Jesus' way of thinking from the kingdom of heaven perspective. So anything that comes against that thought pattern is something that we stand against as Christians. We take each thought captive to the obedience of Christ, right? If it's, if it's a thought pattern, and if it's a thought that's not in line with the kingdom of heaven, with who Jesus is in reality, then it sets itself up against the mind of Christ. It's, an, it's a thought process. It's a mental pattern. It's a, it's a mental chain that keeps us bound from experiencing the freedom that God really offers. <clears throat> Jesus came to set the prisoners free, to change our mindsets, to cause us to think new things from a heavenly perspective. <clears throat> then the Lord goes on to say, the Lord does not share his glory with other Beings. Um, here I'm going to use the term divine beings. So you might have like other angels that are opposing God. You might have the other gods and the nations, right? And they would build idols to them. And, and in the ancient world, what they would do is they would build an idol and in order to like try to get that divine being to inhabit that idol, they would do something with the mouth um, to, to try to breathe the thing into the mouth. They have like, like um, rituals and things like that. <clears throat> but they, they try to, to localize their divine being, the God that they're worshiping in these idols. And God says that he does not share his glory with other angelic beings. It's God's glory and it's God's glory alone. And no other divine being can have that glory and no other divine being's idol can have that glory. God will not share that. And then the very last like, key phrase I want to point out is, he says, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. And this is, this is, this is the point that stuck out for me for Isaiah 42, for now in 2024. <clears throat> now you could, you, could, you could legit use this 
every January that there is. <laughs> you can totally do that. Um, I'm doing it this January. January 2024, God is doing a new thing, right? So our job as the leaders of the church is to go before the Lord and ask him for guidance for what we do as the gathering place for 2024. But we also know that God's doing things on a bigger level. God is doing things bigger in the States, bigger globally. <clears throat> and, and I want to read a little bit of an article that I came across. When was it published? On the 12th, so this week. That really like, like popped in my mind when I read this, God's doing a new thing. <clears throat> now before I read some, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but before I read some of it, over the last 20 I'd say 20 years, people have been talking about us living in a post-Christian society, right? So you have, uh, you have like the Christian Christendom, right, which is typically the Middle Ages and up through the Victorian era, and the Industrial Revolution. But like Christianity has been a, a, a staple in that. And over the last 20, 25 years, people have started migrating away from the church, and so some sociologists had the great idea to call it, it's post-Christian because people are no longer predominantly affiliated with church or the Judeo-Christian worldview, uh, things like that. So post-Christian has been this term that's been thrown around. That, eh, we're not Christian anymore, we're post-Christian. You know, you can look at the state of Europe where that's at. You can look at the state of Canada. It's a little bit further ahead of us in terms of that, in terms of the U.S. So... We're in this post-Christian world, right? And if you look at the generation breakdowns, you know, you hear about the war between the, the boomers and the millennials. You know, the boomers think that the millennials are lazy and that the millennials think that the boomers are just old and, old and out of touch. There's my group that's kind of like in the middle because you get like Gen X, right? And Gen X just wants to be left alone. They don't really care. And then I'm in like this weird transition group that's roughly born from 1977 to 1983. Uh, so we're not fully Gen X because we were just born in the Gen X era, but we're not fully uh, millennials because like, we didn't get a lot of the bells and whistles that the millennials grew up with. So they call us zennials, X-E-N-N-I-L, zennials or Xennials. And so we're, we're basically the ones born between the original publication uh, or, or production of the original Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> so we're the, we're the Zennials. <clears throat> and so you got the Zennials, you got the, the Millennials, and you got Gen Z, which is roughly born in the 90s, early 2000s. So Gen Z is this group that's after me, right? So my nephew's kids would be... Um, these uh, Gen Z. So this is an article about Gen Z that I came across. Here's the title. Is Gen Z going back to church? And so I'm going to read some of this. <clears throat> Could Generation Z, the generation currently in their teens and early 20s, be finding religion? This week at TikTok, we know it's a Chinese ploy, but, you know, it's popular. TikTok, from the fall, resurfaced, showing a young girl who looks to be in her early 20s, sitting alone in a large, empty church with her knees up as the sound of someone playing piano echoes through the cavernous space. 2023 hit so hard that I had to turn to religion, reads the caption of the video, which was originally posted in October. 
Hmm. Oh. Oh. I, I, I linked it, so now it wants me to log in. So now I've got to go back into my app to actually get to it. Man, I thought I had it ready to go. And I didn't. And you think you have. There you go. A quick look at the comments. So this was a post back in October. And uh, the reporter looks at the comments. Quick look at the comments cast doubt on the idea that the post might be a joke. Because sometimes, you know, there's irony. The video has a whopping 385,000 likes. More than 8,000 comments. Most of which are from other uh, Gen Zs. Saying they, ha they too have wandered into churches recently. Here's a couple of the comments. For real, I went to a church last week for the first time in my life. I get it now. Another one, no, because low-key this, which kind of means I identify with this. I don't know this new lingo. So this person identifies with it. The way I went from basically atheist to praying every day, going to church with my family now. Wow. <clears throat> I randomly started praying consistently. Everyone said, so relatable. I left the church at 15 and now I'm back as an adult. Because I'm scared of life. <laughs> I mean, like, like, because what's going on, you know? Like, what's been going on in the last... Look at the media, look at the news. Like, where's the stability? Two commenters said they were just recently crying and looking up nearby churches. Others were relieved they weren't alone in becoming religious. This wasn't only me. Oh my goodness, I became religious this year. I go to church every week. There are like 8,000 comments like that. So anyway, I'm tearing up, so I'll, uh, I'll pause there. But yeah, I mean like, I didn't think that was going to happen. You know, I've, I've been like, yeah, we are post-Christian, so like we're the remnant. Right? We're the remnant and, and, and we're going against the tide because... Nobody wants to go to church anymore. And, uh, you know, the, the doors are being darkened, you know. I just, you know, when I drive down to, uh, when I have to drive to Pleviac School um, in my school district, I drive by a, um, an old Lutheran church that is now turned into a mosque, right? So I'm seeing these things. I'm like, well, maybe it does look like Christianity is on the wane. And then this is, this week is the first time I've come across an article that the Gen Z are so devoid of meaning in life that they're despairing. And because of that despair, they're going into churches. I would say that's a new thing to me. Like, like, like growing up, like the generation after me would be pretty much the millennials had no use for church. Most of them are atheists. Most of them are really big fans of Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. And like, if you can't, you know, prove it, then I don't believe it. You know, it's just a whole mindset. Like, you know, my my youngest brother-in-law won't even step foot in a church. Like, there's a visceral reaction for whatever reason about church. I don't know why. And 
you would think like, okay, well, the generation is lost, but then the next generation now is finding their way back. Like, it makes me think, like, what is the Lord doing? You know, like, and I know, like, in terms of the gospel, Jesus says it's not the healthy that need the doctor, it's the sick. And it looks like the Gen Zers are realizing how sick their world is. And, and how sick their mentality is, and that there's no void, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no stability. And it reminds me of that bumper sticker that I saw years ago that said, uh, it's, it's a play on words, but K-N-O-W, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no peace. N-O, no Jesus, N-O, no peace. Right? And so we have a whole generation that's grown up unchurched for the most part and they don't know peace. And apparently according to 8,000 posts from October, they're finding peace in church. They're finding peace in Jesus. I wouldn't have thought that that would just be a trend that happened, but apparently it is. And so when I see... Isaiah, former things have come to pass and new things I now declare that God hasn't given up on Generation Z and so maybe I shouldn't either. So now what do we do with that? Like where do we go in terms of what God is calling us to in 2024 and this new thing that the Lord's doing? <clears throat> so they're finding peace in Jesus. That's a pretty cool new thing. So here's my last point, and this is going to be our, our wrap-up, our conclusion. <clears throat> Scripture talks about us working with Jesus. You know, we're co-heirs. You know, we're co-laborers with Christ. So in a way, we are partners with Jesus in bringing about the kingdom of heaven. In that partnership, I'm going to take some of the things that were describing Jesus in the previous verses pulling them out for us as partners with, with Jesus. <laughs> so uh, there's six of them. Number one, from one of, the, one of the minor prophets, I can't remember which one it is, says that, that God wants us to live justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And I'm pulling that out because we see when Jesus came, right, this prophecy Jesus is bringing his justice. Now that doesn't mean that we are the sword of justice for Jesus. It's not our job to go out and like do vigilante justice or anything like that. We live justly, right? We encompass just actions with our family, with our friends. And we're merciful in the process. You know, sometimes Finn will do something... He's not supposed to. He gets in trouble. He goes and cries, right? Justice got meted out. And then I'll go down and I'll sit down and talk with him and be merciful with him, you know, to, be, to speak kindly to him. And then pick him up and throw him on the couch because, you know, he's a boy and he likes that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, but, but living justly, like we live our lives justly. Like, we could be in an entire environment that, that values all kinds of injustice. And what we do as followers of Jesus is to live justly. We live with just actions. And we love mercy, right? We are merciful. 
and we walk humbly. <clears throat> and that, that doesn't mean that we're afraid to talk about Jesus, but it does mean that we should be bragging more about God and less about our own accomplishments. <clears throat> because it's all about Jesus. It's all about this kingdom work. So we partner with Jesus bringing his justice by us living and acting justly. And we can get into all the different things and interrelational dynamics with that if we want to. But that's part of it. Second, Jesus is not going to harm the bruised reed and he's going to be mindful of the lightly flickering wick. So we, like Jesus, need to be mindful of the vulnerable. And, you know, that, that takes some discernment because there are swindlers out there who set themselves up as being vulnerable to kind of swindle. So there's a discernment that happens there. But we're to be mindful of the vulnerable and, and to work with them and to help them come into this relationship with Jesus and not to, to just plow them over as like as the millstone of justice just rolls on down the road and if you don't get out of the way, then you're going to get crushed. Mm. And then bringing life to people. You know, God says that he puts his breath of life in people who walk on the earth. What we can do is that we should be speaking life into people. Letting our words speak life. Case in point with my boss. You know, she was really downtrodden. She's like, why? I don't know why I'm so downtrodden. I'm like, well, you're coming against like a decade of bad habits, right, um, in other people, and you're trying to bring that change, and you're getting the resistance because they're comfortable where they're at. <clears throat> and so as she goes through her challenges, one of the things I can do, it's almost like I'm a, like a, I'm a pastor in my own department, you know, with my boss, but I'm, I'm not, right? I'm, I'm an underling. I, I fix computers. And I can sit down and I can speak life to her, and I can help her reframe it, right? She knows she's got a calling from God to do something there, right? And she wavers because she hits so much resistance. So just to sit down and have a conversation with her <coughs> and to bring a perspective to say, you've got this. The Lord's got your back. He's going to protect you. It's going to be hard, but he gives you strength and grace to do it. Like, she, she tells me, like, I need you to keep doing that. You need to keep telling me that. She needs that encouragement because she feels like, like uh, an island, you know, in this ocean of opposition. And so she really appreciates that. Now, I've had other bosses that don't appreciate things like that. So if they don't, you know, you do it more subtly, right? But she really appreciates that. You know, I, I gave her the thing of David and Goliath, you know, or, or David and Saul was another one. And I was like, because, you know, sometimes Jesus wants to lash out at other people. You know, that, and I was like, oh, you know, David didn't do that. You know, David didn't take down the authority figures. Whenever David encountered Saul, like, he, never, he never raised his sword against him. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. If the Lord wants to remove Saul, that's the Lord's job. I was like, Kim, you're in, you're in a similar situation. If, if the Lord wants to do something with them, that's his job to do that. It's your job to stick to what you're called to and keep doing it. And the Lord will do the work that needs to be done. So just that encouragement, 
I mean, it, it changes her demeanor. Like the next day, she's a completely different person, right? Because it lifts these burdens off. Because back to the mental patterns, right? We fall into these bad mental patterns that Jesus has come to break the chains off of. And so we do that. We speak words of life to people. We speak like God's purpose in them and encourage them in that. Number four, like Jesus, we serve as a light to the nations, right? As a light to the people around us. Like we let God's goodness and God's mercy and God's justice work through us as we interact with other people. Number five, we can help open the blind eyes, right? The Holy Spirit that dwells in us raised Jesus from the bed, dead, right? So Jesus can open blind eyes. We can open blind eyes, right? I would, I would, I would say remember to take orders from headquarters. You know, if the Lord tells you to do it, then you do it. And also metaphysical, like those those me- metaphorical, those mindsets to open their eyes. Oh, I've been thinking the wrong way the whole time. Like that the, we we bring that influence with us to help people see things from a heavenly perspective. And then finally, the last thing we can do is that we can free those bound by spiritual chains that are chained by their oppressors. And that's, that's another mindset thing, that we can speak the truth, not our truth. Let's get away from our truth. That's just bogus fluff. There's no meaning to that whatsoever. There's opinion and there's truth. Right? And, and truth is a little bit different than fact. The truth is God has called all people to be free in the kingdom of heaven. And that we can declare that and we can speak that and we can exemplify that. So we partner with Jesus in those things. <clears throat> uh, so with that, um, anybody that's listening on the, the podcast, anybody that uh, is on Zoom, uh, if you maybe, maybe you're part of that Gen Z and you stumbled across this, I don't know. But if this is something that's got your interest in who this Jesus is and you don't really know him, then you can pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I am interested in this. Like I, I don't get it, or maybe I'm starting to get it, but I want to get it, and I want to get it more. I don't know you, but I want to know if you're real. Will you show yourself to me in that? In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that, um, go talk to a Christian that you know um, about what that would look like. If you don't know any Christians, you can, you're more than welcome to email our church at info at tgpchicago.org. Once again, that's info at tgpchicago.org. And uh, one of our leaders will be glad to get back with you and answer any questions you have. So uh, with that, we're going to have uh, Twyla wrap us up, and then we will be dismissed. So God bless you all. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of the Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.